welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is episode 143. Welcome to the program. Happy to be live here on Facebook uh, and out to Voice Ed Radio Canada. Happy to be uh, a member of the Education Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you like other podcasts, check out what's happening at Education Podcast Network, uh, as well as Voice Ed Radio Canada. A lot of uh, news, a lot of uh, uh, great podcasts out there and, and happy to be associated with them, as well as on iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, uh, thank you so much for subscribing and all of that good stuff. We love the reviews as well. Those help. So welcome to show number 143. I want to thank today's sponsor, and that is the Coaching and Leadership Journal. That's my friend Dan Spanauer down in North Carolina. You could check him out at the leadership publishing team. I'm going to send one of these to our um, our guest today, Joe Dowling. We're going to meet Joe in a minute. Um, but this is the Coaching and Leadership Journal. This is a monthly subscription that I get. And look at all the pages it's got here, right? How many emails do we get? But I get this hard. It's like a thick piece of paper. It's great. A uh, ton of great stories, great things in here. Here's Dan's contact information. You want to see that in there? Uh, but it's the leadershippublishingteam.com. Check that out. You could use discount code Murata20 uh, for a discount on your, your subscription. Um, but again, if you're a leader, you're looking for content, you're looking for stories, you're looking for motivation, check out the leadershippublishingteam.com. Joe, we're going to get you a copy of that. But we're going to meet Joe Dowling today. Joe is the author of Zonefulness. I love it. I love the concept. I love the title. Uh, and Joe is a sports psychologist, uh, works as the mental strength coach at the University of Pennsylvania and for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, but so now more than ever, how important are people like Joe? I can't wait to talk with him. Uh, mental strength, right? So we're going to meet Joe here in a minute. But the opening concept is based off his title, right? In the zone, zonefulness, right? We hear that all the time. Oh, he was in the zone or she was in the zone, right? And what does that mean, right? And 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 uh, it just, it can mean so many different things. And we're going to talk to Joe about that today. But I love it, right? As a former athlete, as a former referee, even as an educator, getting dialed in, getting focused on what needs to be done. Uh, I love the movie For the Love of the Game. If you're a baseball fan, you're a Kevin Costner fan. There's a part in the movie where Kevin Costner is a pitcher for Detroit, and he's he's a pitcher, and he's getting ready to pitch, and there's all this crowd, there's all these distractions, there's all it's loud, and he's thinking about things, and he would say, clear the mechanism. And in the movie, it would like, and it would dull everything in the background, it would quiet everything in the background. And to me, it brought a lot of clarity, right? I, I, so I started telling myself that clear the mechanism and getting everything cleared out of my life and uh, my mind at the time. And, and, and that worked for me. And we're going to talk about with Joe, he's got his, his Z's on here about what brings you in the zone. That was something that worked for me, uh, bringing me into the zone and helped me be in the in the mindset of zonefulness. So we're going to meet Joe here, and I'm going to bring him in. We're going to unmute him and bring him in. Bam. Joe Dallin, welcome to Education, Leadership, and uh, Beyond. Hey, Joe. Andrew, great to be here. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite movies. <laughs> 
Isn't that, a great, isn't that a great part, a great scene in the movie? All-time ultimate zone scene. It, it is. Yes. And uh, again, this is Joe Dowling, everybody. Joe, welcome. Uh, I know we had some tech issues last week, uh, and, and I'm happy we were able to work through that. Um, Joe, I got so many questions. But before we do that, again, you're the you're this a sports psychologist and the mental strength coach at UPenn and Philadelphia Eagles. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Andrew, I'm born and bred in Philadelphia. We most of most native Philadelphians, we try to leave, but we can't. So, <laughs> I, I've been here my entire life. And uh, quick background: grew up in the city, then moved out to the suburbs. Went to LaSalle College High School. Was pretty much a basketball junkie my whole life. That that remains to this day. Um, went from LaSalle College High School to Albright College, one of the few colleges that would allow me to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Division three. I wanted to continue the career. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. I thought it would be at Albright, but I had a great time playing ball and, and going to an excellent college. Uh, off onto Villanova University, where I was really blessed to have two mentors there. Nick Rose and Lou Morgan, who were teaching psychology and counseling psychology in a way that wasn't being taught in the overwhelming vast majority of grad programs. And it was positive psychology, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, experiential psychology, meditation, hypnotherapy, um, getting people into the zone. And it really changed my life. And I knew then that I wanted to get into, you know, being a therapist. And, and I'm really a therapist, not a sports psychologist. I you know, people, my friends laugh because I don't even believe in the term sports psychology, even though I market myself as a sports psychologist. Yeah, it, it's it's all game of life, right? You have to have your skill set as a, you have to be a good therapist, right? Because anyone who has anxiety on a basketball court is going to have anxiety in their real life. You have to be able to do family and relationship issues and couples and family counseling. And sometimes sports psychology programs, well, a, a lot of times they, they don't, turn out their, I gotta be careful here, right? The, the kids, uh, the kids who go through, they really don't have what they need to be able to do the other types of therapy. So uh, the model that I use, which I now call zonefulness, which I'm sure we'll get into, it's exactly what I do with, with someone who's a non-athlete who might have, you know, anxiety attacks or a relationship issue, they're not sleeping or high blood pressure or, you know, some type of trauma. They're the same techniques, right? I'll, I'll, individualize the therapy to the student athlete and I'll use the, the language that's in the book, but it's really the same. It's getting out of your conscious thinking mind into your subconscious mind where your zone lives and, you know, helping people become their best self and, you know, transcend the, the limitations of the overthinking mind, which is, you know, a big thesis in zonefulness. Yeah. And Joe, what was it back to those mentors back in Albright and Villanova that, you, you said, wow, I, I want to do that. What was it? What was the spark? Well, it's really the teaching, though, and it's to me, it's staggering and shocking that this, this man isn't the most famous psychologist in, in the world. Uh, he is in Europe and South America, uh, Milton H. Erickson. He's the father, Milton H. Erickson. Everyone thinks it's Eric Erickson, it's, but it's Milton H. Erickson, who's the father of uh, modern, he, he was a physician and a scientist, Andrew, who who was also a psychologist and he pioneered utilizing the subconscious mind and its infinite wisdom, um, mainly through medical and clinical hypnotherapy. 
right? But he's also the father of solution-focused therapy and strategic therapy. And you may have heard of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which is popular in sports and performances, all the mind-body therapies, self-relations therapy. He was the first therapist to focus on what's right with someone, not what's wrong with someone. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was born in 1901, the heyday of psychoanalysis, which is all the jokes about psychology, right? You lay on the couch three times a week and analyze everything. He was the opposite of that. It was, it was a strength-based future-focused therapy. He did not ignore the past, but the past was good for learning. You can learn from it. You don't need to analyze it over and over again. And so, so what can you do instead of what you, what can't you do? And by, by using, you know, I call it the zone. People get scared of the word hypnosis, right? Because it's, it's the most stereotyped, unfairly stereotyped medical term in the history of man and womankind, right? A, a zone is a hypnotic state. A meditation is a hypnotic state. People don't want to hear that, but that's technically what it is. When you're in that, that hypnotic state, you're in an enhanced state of control, right? Everyone thinks you're out of control and they're gonna, we're gonna make you quack like a duck, right? And it's, <laughs> it's literally the opposite of that. It's an enhanced state of control and getting into your subconscious mind, which uh, it has a, a benevolent wisdom. It only knows how to help us, right? You've had the experience of waking up in the morning and you know what to do about something, right? Or you take you take a run and all of a sudden you know what to do about something or you play some pickup basketball michael jordan used to say his best therapy was playing basketball that's how he solved his problems the answers would come to him mm -hmm. so that's what i do I, I get i get my guys and girls into their zone which is really their subconscious mind where the answers are and i could go on and on about that but i'll i'll refrain yeah, no, I want to get into it here. And again, here's here's Joe's book, Zonefulness, uh, and you can check it out at uh, zonefulness.com, Joe's website. But on the back, Joe, it's like it's right here. And I love the images of disease, right? But just like you said, how to get in the zone and then things that take you out of the zone. Right. My mom was watching. She's uh, what my best fan has watched me. After my games referee, she would say, I could tell you were really focused tonight. She was focused <laughs> Um, but let's start with the positive, right? What are the what are the ways to zone in, Joe? Uh, some things that people could do to get dialed in. Well, you know, I, I call it just in the, in the spirit of teaching and making it user friendly. There, there's a lot a lot of things, but we identify the big three of peak performance. Peak performance is your zone, right? When you're performing at your peak, you're in your zone. And the big three, number one, is extreme self support. What do I mean by that? And also the support of your, your teammates, friends, family, but, but for right for this moment, extreme self-support. So I, I give the example, it's deceptively simple. Every human being has done this. And I, ironically, the, the really good people do it the most. So let's just imagine the captain on a basketball team. He could typically be really hard on himself, right? He has high standards. He he could get into criticizing himself after a game, reviewing everything he did wrong and just getting down on himself. But he would never talk like that to one of his teammates. He, he would never tell one of his teammates, man, what's wrong with you? Boy, that was, that was a brutal performance. My God, I can't believe you missed those three shots. What, what if you don't play well again tomorrow? Why are you playing like this? What? So, the most common thing that I see, whether it's with student athletes or, or any athlete or any human being is they will beat themselves up. It might be subtle. It might be, 
you know, over the top where they're really self-loathing and self-critical, but they typically would never think to do it to their teammate who was working really hard. Sure. Right. So it's deceptively simple. How would you really talk to a teammate? You know, we really get into this at Penn. Like that's a, that's a standard for us. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, I know it's that negative voice, that negative loop, which, which we'll get into when we talk about the zone blockers. So number one is extreme self-support. That doesn't mean, you know, everything is, you know, everything is great, right? Everything is positive. You know, if you shoot over 10 from three, we don't want, hey, it's all good, right? It's, hey, I, I can't wait for tomorrow, everything. No, we want you to be pissed off, excuse me, right? We want you to be, you know, we want you to be focused, but you can't take it out on yourself. It can't become toxic, mm -hmm. right? It can't become this obsessive review of everything you did wrong. And then this worry about what's gonna happen next. And that's what happens, right? So, so number one is the extreme self-support, mm -hmm. treating yourself as you would a friend, a good friend, a teammate. Number two, the world's most common symptom phrase is what if, right? If, if you start a sentence with what if, you're in trouble, man, let me tell you. What if I fail? What if I don't get into a game? What if the coaches can see that I really don't belong here? You get the what ifs go on and on and on. So what I, I try to... I want to turn guys into what willers instead of what ifers. So you start what ifing and you know what I'm going back. It's hard not to, I have to go back and forth to the throat. So, so the what if is the zone blocker, right? Yeah. So thank you. What if for reminding me, that's the mantra. It's either thank you or F you. What if <laughs> for, for reminding me to get into my zone to focus on what will go right. Yeah. And that's number two in the big three and that's future memories of success, right? So a future memory of success zone is a guy sits in the locker room before practice, closes his eyes and takes five slow, deep breaths and imagines practice. But he really does it for one minute, maybe two minutes, maybe three minutes. I call that a power zone. You can do it while you're warming up. You're getting out of your conscious thinking mind into your subconscious mind where your zone lives, yeah. right? And I'm not a brain scientist, but I can talk a little brain science on occasion. I won't do that now. But what happens in your brain chemistry when you're focusing on playing well, and I like to vivify it for guys, right? Where you see it, you don't just see it, you feel it, right? So the future memory of success is you see it and you feel it. You can hear the soundtrack, for example, of the Plestra, right? Or whatever the gym is. So the, the future memories of success, I want guys doing that all the time, 10 seconds here, a minute there. Everyone on the team has an individualized zone recording. They come see me in my office, they close their eyes, and for 10 minutes, I just do a future memory of success zone. Wow. And it's, uh, it's really, you know, the worst feedback I've ever gotten about it is it's interesting and relaxing. That's the worst thing it is when you do the zone, right? But, but they, they get a recording of it. Oh, yeah, I, I individualize recordings for each of them. That's awesome. And as well as the women's team. When I say guys, I'm referring to the women and the men. Sure. Um, but so you, you think of the athletes that they got their headphones on, they're listening, but they might be listening to the that recording of success. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, before games with the men's team, uh, you know, if it's a 7 o'clock game, we eat at 3.30. At 4.30, I come into the team room. We dim the lights. They have these big, giant black chairs. Guys lay in the black chairs. They lay on the floor. And I do a 10 minute zone and it, it involves extreme self-support, 
future memories of success. And the one I haven't mentioned yet, the third part of the big three of peak performance is your personal history of success, right? So transport them back in time to the sights, sounds, sensations, feelings of playing at their best. And the subconscious mind connects with that and brings it into the present, right? And all kinds of things happen when your brain chemistry, when you do that, right? So now you're priming your mind body to get ready to play, right? And if there's a, what, what if I don't play well? Now that now it's like, thank you, what if, for reminding me, sarcastic, right? Thank you, what if, F you, what if, yeah. for reminding me to get into my zone. So. So we do the whole 10 minute thing, 10, 12 minutes before games. And then the guys have their individual individualized recordings. The reason I make the zone recordings and I have them do the longer zones, it allows all this other stuff I talk about to work, right? You have to be doing practicing the zone in order for the thank you. What if for reminding me, what will it be like when I have five threes tonight? Right? And that just becomes it. It all starts with our language. Right. When now you become a what willer instead of a what ifer. Now you're focusing on what you did well instead of what you did wrong. You don't ignore what you did wrong. You learn from it. Right. You have a bad game. You, you text the coach. You get in early. You watch film. You have a high basketball IQ, but you don't turn it into something toxic. So let me let me jump in on that, Joe. Sure. Like. It, you you can see when an athlete is really strong, right? You come out, you can see when they're in shape, they're muscular, they look in their uniform fit. You know, how can you tell when an athlete is mentally strong versus you see something happening on the court and then you know that guy's going to go into his tailspin? What are, the, what are some signs of a mentally strong athlete? Well, that's a great question. I think it, I'll, I'll say first that it all depends, again, on the uniqueness of the individual but, but one common one is bad body language, right? Another one that you'll relate to is getting after the refs too much. You know, not, you know, it's, it's, they're externally focused instead of internally focused, mm. right? So our whole thing is the internal regulation of your brain chemistry, the internal regulation of your approach to the game, right? So, so when you're being positive, and we go to great – when we talk about positivity, we're not talking about fraudulent positivity. Hey, everything's okay. It's a beautiful day. Oh, we lost. What we're talking about – the way I define positivity is it's the most realistic, pragmatic way to live your life and to play basketball in this case. So you're, what's being positive? Next play mentality. Good body language. Not talking to the referees, right? We – Everyone on the team has an anchor. This year we have a, a team anchor, which I learned from uh, Coach Donahue sent me a Zoom a workshop. It was a 90-minute workshop with a Navy SEAL and a brain scientist. It was fascinating. It was wow. sounds like a joke, right? A Navy SEAL and a <laughs> It was really fascinating because I, I won't get into all the details, but the, the brain scientist was saying that the number one way to reset yourself if you're stressed, whether it's physical exertion stress or mental stress, it's called a physiological sigh. And it's two quick inhales and an exhale. I'll demonstrate it for you. It's, it's one quick inhale, then a deeper inhale, then an exhale. So it's like this. So when you do that, the, you know, the tiny sacs in your lungs called alveoli, they get depressed and deflated when you're in stress, when you're in effort. 
So when you go, you will inflate them right away. The other thing is when you breathe in twice, you're sending oxygen into your neural chemistry, which flows down into your body. And number three, stress is carried in carbon dioxide. So when you exhale, you're offloading the carbon dioxide. So it's, so it's a quick way to reset. And then we, we link that with a, everyone gets a, a saying, right? The most common one is next play. So you just turn the ball over and now you're going back on defense. It's next play. What that does, and this is the part that free, you know, I was listening to the Zoom call, Andrew, and I'm like, I'm thinking I should have known this after 25 years, right? Yeah. And what happens when you do that is you're attaching a reward to your effort, right? And the Navy SEAL was talking about attaching a reward to the effort, which means validating yourself realistically, right? Genuine validation. Next play, I got this. You know, I just got my butt kicked the last couple of possessions. Next play, I'm going to go as hard as I can. I'm glad I used my anchor. When you say I'm glad I used my anchor, more dopamine is released into your neural chemistry. It's wild, isn't it? This is fascinating. And, and man, yeah. you, you, your message has got to be so helpful for the student athletes. But even now, right, uh, you know, I work in the field of education. You're an educator. You know, the, people need that. People need to learn techniques to reset, to get them out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the deceptively simple part of it is now you're not going to follow the symptoms, right? So we can review that very briefly. The symptoms or the zone blockers are yeah. self-criticism is number one. Self-criticism and doubt, overanalyzing, overthinking, that's number one. Number two is the what ifing, which we've talked about. What, what ifing is technically a negative focus on the future, right? What if I fail? And number three is I, my poor attempt at humor um, with the negative focus on the past. It's when people and guys are saying, why did I do this? Why did I, why didn't I play? Why did the coach take me out? Why did I get come to the pen? Right? So they're being whiners, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can't engage in whining. So you, people have their own go-to symptom, right? We've normalized the term symptom. When guys get up in their head and they're overthinking, it's thank you symptoms for reminding me to use my anchor to do a power zone. Thank you self-criticism for reminding me how would I talk to my teammate right now? And that's where I invoke the honor system, right? How would you honestly talk to your teammate who's working really hard, but he's not having success? Would you go up to him and say, what if you, what if you keep messing up? What if you don't play tomorrow? You're awful. I can't believe you're even on this team. You wouldn't, but that's what you say to yourself. So in summary, we're taking the symptoms, the zone blockers, the overthinking, the overanalysis, the what ifing, the whining, the self-criticizing, and we're turning them into positive triggers. So when they happen, instead of following them, we're saying, oh, there you are, what if? Thank you for reminding me to next play. I got this. Yeah, yeah. And Joe, tell me about the motivation then to put it down here. I mean, you just explained those six things, the three, the big three, and then the zone blockers so so well. What what motivated you to write the book and uh, you know get put this down on paper for people? Well, uh, I guess I never answered it this way before. I I, there, I mentioned Milton H. Erickson earlier. There's a, an international congress on Ericksonian approaches to uh, psychotherapy. Uh, like they have it every like three years or so, and 
I started going in 1999 as a student and to learn and uh, it usually goes from like Thursday to Sunday and on Friday night they have an author's hour hmm. and I would go to that and all my favorite you know the guys that I learned from and read all their books and they were there and they would sign the book and I always said man I, I'd love to be in this author's hour someday <laughs> so uh, that was part of it the other one is I it occurred to me that I had I was starting to see this really uh, familiar pattern working with people. And as I got further along in my career um, and I said, you know what? I, I got into sports more. I wanted to, I wanted to do more sports. You know, I was getting a little burnout with everything else and it was the same techniques. I had done sports throughout my career, but now I wanted to do more. And Steve Donahue at Penn would, would bring me up wherever he was coaching. And then, when he got back to Philly and accepted the job at Penn in 2015, he asked me to be on the staff. And right before that, I had decided to write the book. So this really motivated me to, to get it out there. Yeah. And now here you are signing books. <laughs> I there did. we are. There I we are. it in December. Yep. Oh, yeah, there yeah. it is. <laughs> So you got you got your goal, and uh, I mean it's really it really is uh, well written, and I love the strategy you used. You you tell stories in there, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know you rename the athletes and the scenarios, but you tell their story in there, which makes the book very easy to read and to learn from. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I just I tried to imagine what I would like to read, and I'd I was trying to bring the reader into my office when I was working yeah. with someone or or onto the court when I work with the team on the court and, and do the workshops. So to uh, give them that, that experience, try to make it as experiential as, as possible. And after four of the chapters, readers are directed to my website where there are zone recordings, which is kind of that meditative hypnotic thing I was explaining. You know, there's a future memories of success recording, a personal history of success recording, extreme self support, recording and a, a recording that involves all three of them. They're each eight minutes long. So you read a chapter, then you can go to the website and, and close your eyes and put your earbuds in and, and get into your zone. And Joe, again, I mentioned uh, strength coaches, right? They would always show this, you know, really strong guy or he'd be out before the game and <laughs> make him warm up. And, he, you know, and, and you see that and you think that that guy is probably the second most important guy on the team behind the head coach. Yep. You know, you don't hear too much about the mental strength coach, but I would think your message is just invaluable. And you know, I, I, when did that term start happening? When did they, when did teams start having mental strength coaches? Well, I, I think it. And I don't know exactly when the term was born, but more and more teams are having people, and I think they're. I think we're the only team in the Ivy League that has someone like me who's, who's yeah. on staff, right? And uh, Coach Donahue and I think within the next decade or less, all Division One teams are going to have a mental strength coach, mm -hmm. right? Like I travel with the team. That's how invested Coach Donahue is in, in it. So yeah. I think it, you know, part of it is society. And, you know, we always read a couple, you know, tragic stories about a student athlete committing suicide or, you know, we hear too much about that. And there's so much in athletics. Our guys are coming out and women are coming out talking about their struggles with mental health, right? All over social media, the Kevin Loves and the DeMar DeRozans, 
right? Uh, Michael Phelps. And just really, they're doing such a service normalizing mental health in, in the athletic community. Uh, so I don't know where mental strength coach guy, I think I, I told Steve Donahue, I think we should call it mental strength coach right? instead of mental health coach. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's focusing on the positive, right? It's looking at the positive, talking about strength and, yep. and, and your book should be required reading for the, all those student athletes. And you're right. Uh, I think you're starting to see these in a lot of type of uh, uh, jobs, but, specifically the athletes and you would be great with referees too, right? I mean, really to be in that zone with all those distractions going on, it would be phenomenal uh, for you to work with referees as well. I, I would love to do that. I have extraordinary respect for referees. I, I truly don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I mean, maybe if I was trained decades ago, but it's, it's truly a, I mean, talk about a mental strength position. Right. And you can tell the good ones. Right. And the ones who aren't so good, I say respectfully. Yeah. Right. The, the ones who know how to dialogue with players and, and know how to, you know, give them what they need in order to continue. And, and the ones who are just so rigid. And. Right. So, I mean, I, I think it's amazing what you guys are able to do. I do have a problem when I sit on the bench because uh, <laughs> something happens to me. I go from the you know, the sports psychology, mental strength, game of life, mentor, a guide. So I become a basketball fan. <laughs> and I'm always afraid, oh my God, if I ever get a T. <laughs> You'd be out of the zone. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be out of a job, yeah. John, there's a lot of uh, teachers and coaches that watch the program. And uh, before we get to rapid fire here, Joe, this was fascinating. You know, what would be your message to uh, the coaches and any athletes that might be watching here during this time of COVID, right? They've had someone that's taken away from them. What would be your message to the, to these athletes that might not be playing? They, they might try to play. You know, what would you say? Well, first and foremost, it would be to validate how excruciatingly difficult this is, right? And sometimes people have a tendency, they mean well, but they try to jump to the positive too quickly, validating that this is unusually difficult and it's draining and what student athletes value most, the structure of being on a team and training, uh, it's been taken away. I, I know at Penn, they can't even use the facilities on the campus. It's one of the few schools they cannot, you know, it, it's a shame. I, I'm sure there's many other schools that are doing that, but they're so careful and uh, the institution is so careful they, they can't use the basketball court. So, so much is being taken away from them. It's a, of them. It's acknowledging how difficult this is and owning that. And then we can shift into a growth mindset, right? Where, where you meet these obstacles head on. And this is the ultimate accountability now. And you get guys to buy in. All right, so much is in the way. What are we going to be saying in April this year after making the tournament and winning a few games, right? We're going to look back on the pandemic and say, we had the ultimate accountability, right? So it's taking this ownership and this, this high level accountability to, to engage in your sport and respect your sport and put everything you have into it. So, so it's acknowledging how hard it is and then allowing yourself to say, okay, I have all, I have all of this in front of me. I'm going to transcend. I'm going to rise above it. 
I'm going to look back on this as a, as a great experience of resilience and connection with my best self and my teammates. Joe, that is an awesome message. You're spot on. It is validating that it is uh, a, a difficult time and people do need to hear that. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, Joe, let's get to rapid fire. We're coming down the stretch here. We're in the zone. Uh, these, are, these are quick answers. The first thing that pops in your head, are you read? Yes, sir. Here we go. Philadelphia style. Last book you read. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Uh, it's it's uh, Donna Tart, The Goldfinch. Okay. Maybe the best book I ever read, if I may add. Wow. Won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction 2013 or 14. The Goldfinch. That's a strong statement. Unreal. Okay. Top three at least. Yes. Last movie you saw. Wildlife. With, okay. um, it was on Netflix with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Carrie Mulligan, character study of uh, 1950s Montana. It's not really upbeat. A family kind of <laughs> deteriorates, and it's really the main character is the teenage boy, and just extraordinarily well done. Paul Dano, the actor, is his first directing assignment. So I really, really loved it. Favorite place to travel? Uh I only went there once with my wife before we got married. It's called Punta del Este. It's in. It's on the southern coast of Uruguay. It's a. It's a, like a half hour flight from Buenos Aires. Nice. Right over here. Is that where the falls are near the Iguazu? There. No, this this is just an island in the in the water. Oh wow! So it's where all the Brazilian uh, and Argentinian movie stars have their homes. And the famous mental strength coach. Yeah. From <laughs> It's really expensive there. I could afford one there. Yeah. As a lifelong Philadelphian, what's the best thing about Philadelphia? The passion. The passion and the emotion and the intelligence of, of the fans. Right? We get a bum rap. It's a minority. And we have it's, – it's almost like hypnosis. It's so unfairly stereotyped about what the fans are like here. They're the most passionate people in the world. I would agree with that. Very strong passion in Philadelphia. Yes. How about how about something that bothers you, Philly, or that you know is an issue in Philadelphia? Uh, I, I think right now with the, the Black Lives Matter, and they need to do a much better job with with racism in the city, and and normalizing, you know, just being non-racist, right? And um, I'd love that to be a more of a cultural value, and and see it more consistently throughout the city. City of brotherly love, amen. Uh, Joe, we talked a lot about your passions. We talked about things that have motivated you. How about something that gets under your skin? What's a, what's a pet peeve of yours? Wow, that's wasn't prepared for that one. Okay, a pet peeve of mine is in, interrupting. Right when you're talking to someone and their mouth's moving because they can't wait to talk. Right. <laughs> So it, it comes back to arguably the hardest thing in the world to do is empathetic, active listening. Amen. Amen, John. That, that's good. I, I've been guilty. As a loudmouth New Yorker, I've been guilty. I know that I've had a client breakthrough when? When they come, you know, we have a session on Monday and they come in the next Monday and I say, how was your week? And they're like, it's the best week I've had. I, I, I did my zone every morning. I wrote my positive intentions down. I 
I tried to do things differently. I was quirky. I was having fun. And just you feel that shift. But they'll tell you. That's an easy one because they'll just tell me that they had a breakthrough. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Best purchase under 100 bucks that has had a great impact on your life. Uh, I didn't buy it, but uh, the Super Toe toy when I was a kid for Christmas, you hit the, he you hit the head of the, the plastic football player and he would kick the ball. Remembers <laughs> <laughs> that something about Joe Dowling that people do not know about. That people do not know about. Um, I've seen uh, you two. 50 times in concert at least. Yeah. Wow. Now, we're going back to 1987. So it's really a few times a year since 1987. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite U2 song? At, uh, one, one Tree Hill on the Joshua Tree. Wow. Song number nine. I'm hoping you visited the Joshua Tree National State Park there. I've driven by Joshua Trees. <laughs> yeah. They actually look like it. It's, it's yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome, man. Uh, favorite Philadelphia food? It, I know it's a little stereotypical, but it really is the soft pretzel. You know, it's okay. my favorite thing. Billy has a truck in front of the palestra. He's been there 40 years. <laughs> and I get at least one soft pretzel a day whenever I'm on campus. Put you in the zone. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and your accent is pretty strong. It's on the strongest yeah. side, just like my Staten Island accent. Your favorite, like, what would you say is the, like a Philadelphia strong word that they say? Uh, yo. <laughs> yeah. Is it phone or home or one of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, I, when I went to Albright my freshman year, a lot of the kids were from Central North Jersey, New York State, and they they got all over me about that. I love it. I love it, Joe. You, you dropped a lot of knowledge today. A lot of good advice. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, a go-to quote that you use a lot? Hmm. You know, I'm sure I'll think of a few once once we get off. But one that I, I put on my board at the Eagles. Uh, just the other day, and I can't remember, it was by the big wave surfer, Lance Hamilton. Mm. And I, I cannot remember it. It's in the book. But the other one by Ronnie Lott is, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Nice. It's a good one. Nice. Joe, this was great. And, again, I think this should be required reading for, for any student athlete, young or old, uh, you know, behavioral therapy, working through your problems because you could talk yourself into those problems and you could talk them out uh, really great. Where can people order the book? Where can they get in touch with you? And you know, if they're interested in having you come speak to their organization, how can people get in touch? Absolutely. With you? Two ways to order the book, uh, zonefulness.com, one L Z O N E F U L N E S S.com or Amazon. Okay. Order either place. And the best way to get a hold of me is to go on my website, zonefulness.com. And yet there's my direct line is on there and my email. Yeah. Joeypdowling.com. Well, this was fantastic. Uh, and again, I don't know if I sent you one already, but I am going to send it. I want to thank my friend, Dan Spinner. Isn't it great? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great resource. Check it out. The Coaching and Leadership Journal. 
at the Leadership Publishing team. Joe, you stay on the line. We're going to wrap this up here. Uh, this was Joe Dowling. And again, check his workout at uh, zonefulness.com, Philadelphia's finest. Joe, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. And take it easy on those refs this year. All right, man. <laughs> stay on. See you later. Bye-bye. Education, Leadership, and Beyond, episode 143. Thank you so much for Joe Dowling, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. If I can help you in any way, go ahead and pick me down at the end of the violence. We will.